0: Good morning, and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. This week, in synagogues throughout the Jewish world, the Torah portion is known as Bechukotai, It is the last Torah portion read in the book of Leviticus, and it is a reasonably brief Torah portion, beginning in Leviticus 26 and continuing through the end of Leviticus 27. It is one of just a few Torah portions that during some years is doubled up with the previous Torah portion. And so before I give you an overview and uh, conduct our exploration of the Torah portion with our guest, I want to explain again why there are sometimes double Torah portions. The five books of Moses, the Torah, are split into 54 Torah portions, parashiot, and we usually read one Torah portion each Shabbat. However, there are 14 parashiyot 14 portions, that depending on the year can potentially be paired together, so that on that Shabbat in traditional synagogues, two Torah portions would be read. It is complicated as to why we sometimes read two Torah portions and why we sometimes split them, but I felt it was helpful, given the brevity of this Torah portion, to once again explain it. The basic issue is that that although we split the Torah into 54 portions, a regular Jewish year has 353 to 355 days. That leaves us only with 50 to 51 Shabbatot, upon which to read the portion. Additionally, when a Jewish holiday coincides with Shabbat, we read the special holiday reading instead of the weekly Torah portion. This leaves us, if you are following mathematically, with a maximum of 48 weeks in a regular year in which to read 54 Torah portions. In order to reconcile the weekly cycle with the number of Shabbats available, we sometimes need to double up some of the Torah portions. In a leap year, which is this Hebrew year, we add an extra month, which includes four more Shabbatot. Thus, in a leap year, we have a lot fewer double Torah portions. Bahukotai is usually paired with the Torah portion of the previous week, Bahar. And that is uh, the normative reading. Uh, and leads to two short Torah portions. Um, This year, being a leap year, they are separated. The Torah portion, Bahukotai, being so short, the summary will be relatively brief as well. In this Torah portion, God promises that if the people of Israel will keep his commandments, they will enjoy material prosperity and dwell securely in their new promised homeland. But God also delivers a harsh rebuke, warning of exile, persecution, and other evils that will befall the people of Israel if they abandon their covenant with him. Nevertheless, it says, even when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor will I ever abhor them, to destroy them and to break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. The parasha concludes with rules on how to calculate the values of different types of pledges made to God, and the mitzvah, the commandment of tithing produce and livestock. It is a Torah portion that requires some interesting interpretation, and with me this morning is Rabbi James Prosnett, who was the senior rabbi of Congregation B'nai Israel in Bridgeport, Connecticut, from 1990 until July of 2019, then becoming the rabbi emeritus of the Congregation. Since 1919, he has been an adjunct lecturer in the Religious Studies Department at Fairfield University and was recently appointed to the university as the first Jewish chaplain in campus ministry. He is a member of the advisory board of the Bennett Center for Judaic Studies at Fairfield University. Among his numerous community activities, Rabbi Prosnitt was a board member and chair of Bridgeport Prospers, a collective impact leadership team organized by the United Way, Connecticut Against Gun Violence and Operation Hope, a homeless shelter and social service agency in Fairfield. He has recently been honored for his community work by both Operation Hope and the Anti-Defamation League. It is a pleasure to invite Rabbi James Prosnitz to chat with me this morning
1: about our parashah. Good morning. Good morning, and thanks very much for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Well, it's great. So, in the brief Actually, introduction... I'm happy to be here, but this is a... Challenge, but normally we say, this is such a fantastic tour portion, there's so much to talk about. This one actually is a little more challenging, I think, than some others. That's absolutely true.
0: Not only in its brevity is it challenging, but its content challenges us. Yes. Um, and we were going to begin with this notion of blessings and curses. Uh, and how challenging that is to read in uh, synagogue life. So, why right. don't you share with our audience your perspective of that challenge?
1: Well, as as some may know, um, and and you've mentioned before, the parsha is read. Uh, sometimes it's in in the in its entirety uh, in synagogues, and it's usually divided up into like seven different sections and more traditional services, and people are invited up to say blessings over each, each section, um, and it's a nice communal event. Um, the challenge with this particular Torah portion, however, is that the first um, eight verses are lovely. Um, uh, they're blessings, um, and they're really, we can talk about that in a minute, but they're really blessings you would love to have um, transpire in your own personal world or in the world of your nation um then however we get into verse after verse after verse of curses um and some of these uh, as we'll also discuss are pretty gruesome um so um uh, the the story or the tradition is that uh, people didn't really want to say blessings over all these curses um, um so they would um say it in a quiet voice when they chanted this particular section um or they would write it into like the rabbi, somebody's contract to say you have to read this portion when it comes up, um, or they would have one person read all of the curses and then have the other honors distributed among a few other sections of the Torah. Um, because I guess from a superstitious point of view, and and at various times our people have been quite superstitious. Um, if you read about the curses, it might befall you, befall upon you. Um, So uh, people were kind of reluctant to read the meat of this particular portion, um, which really, um, as I said, um, are really horrific in terms of what the curses that might come about to ancient Israel might be.
0: The um, curses and blessings, as you suggest, are not so much personal blessings and curses as
1: communal. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it, the sense is, I mean, this is a theology of uh, reward and punishment. Um, if you follow my laws, I mean, that's how the portion begins. In If you follow my laws and, and, you know, live faithfully by them, um, all these good things are going to happen to you and your land. You're going to have, you know, Good crops, rain in its seasons, lots of babies, peace from among the enemies. No wild beasts are going to come your way, um, and all these good things are going to come back. And actually, you know, one of the most powerful of the blessings appears um, in the um, uh, in verse eleven. Oh, excuse me, in in the verse that says, um, you know, and I will I'll maintain my covenant, as you suggested before. Um, and you'll dwell in my house forever. I mean, I'll, you'll, have, you'll be in relationship to me. Um, and that's, you know, what, what could be better than to, you know, know that you were in relationship with God. Um, but yeah, let me you know,
0: read for our yeah. listener the verses you're referring to. Sure. It says, I will establish my abode in your midst, and I will not spurn you. I will be ever present in your midst. I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Uh, a powerful promise. It then continues, "The I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of the Egyptians, which we've heard before in the Torah. But then it says, you will be slaves no more and you broke the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect.
1: Um, you're Beautiful. right, it doesn't get a
0: lot better right. in terms of biblical promises and even literary uh
1: beauty absolutely and and by the way um some of your listeners may have even heard a resident from the book of Ruth in that um where Ruth says to Naomi um you know you will be my god and I will be your people I mean I mean that, that there is a, a connection throughout the biblical text many many biblical stories where that is a refrain that sort of keeps coming back to us um, so um, all good. I mean, and, and, you know, do the right thing. You're going to be blessed. Um, uh, and, and, and I agree with you that this is corporate, that these are blessings and curses directed to the kind of the Israelites. Um, but I also don't. But I also think that as we interpret this and as we move forward, perhaps in our conversations, you know, it becomes a challenging dynamic in terms of anybody who suffers. Uh, or anybody who feels blessed. I mean, how do we feel, you know, does God mete out all these blessings um, based on our behavior? Um, And now as we move into the curses, does God mete out the curses based on our behavior?
0: So before we turn to the curses, do you have a thought about why there are so few blessings?
1: Yeah, um, actually, um, yeah, I have a thought, and it's somewhat based on traditional commentators, too, um, and that's basically that when it that the blessings are are, are general, um, they're global. Um, um, sometimes it's hard to. I mean, it, it's hard to say to summarize our blessings, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to kind of like know exactly, you know, what is a blessing for us. And but when you put it in the context of agriculture, when you put it in the context of food and peace um, and then being. Dwelling in god's midst, I mean that's enough I mean that's that's as good as it gets um uh then we kind of get to the curses, however, and there you know the details get specified um and some commentators suggest it was to catch people's attention you know I mean you, you know just general curses weren't going to be enough these things weren't going to be you know they, they weren't going to get your attention, but when you talk about And if you want to read some of them.
0: Well, I was just thinking, as as you were speaking, we're going to kind of bring a closure to the section of blessings. Um, You're right that. It kind of is an indication of when you look at what constitutes a life that is blessed. Um, It's not about the small things. It's about um, sustenance. And well-being, and a land that can provide for you, um,
1: yeah. And and then I think I mean, and I would just add, and it's about I mean, I think one of the things that the the rabbis of old used to talk about is um, you know um, um, who 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 is blessed, who is rich, um, and and they you know had all these debates as to what makes somebody rich. Uh, and then in the end, one of the rabbis, I forget which one it is, says um, the rich person, a blessed person is one who is content with his lot. Right. You know, I mean, so, you know, I can have all if, if you know, I mean, if I'm content with what I have, um, if I feel as if I'm living in, you know, that, that I've done the right thing, that God is satisfied with the way I've moved through this world. Uh, that's that's all that's the, that's the reassurance that I need. That's the blessing I get.
0: That's about all that one could ask for. Um, And then it takes this radical turn. And in verse 14, it's very clear. But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, if you reject my laws and spurn my rules, so the text is very clear about rules and commandments, So that you do not observe all my commandments and you break my covenant. So it seems to make that connection that the covenant you have is based on your observance and maintenance of these behaviors. I will turn, I in turn will do this to you.
1: Yeah. And then we get a replay of some of the plagues over Egypt in a sense. You know, that right. now. I'm not just. I didn't just direct these to the Egyptians. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna zap you with this, these things too. Um, uh, and you know, I, um, you'll be slated. You know, um, what? Um, what you want to? I mean, pick up on the ones you want to share with your audience. Well, <laughs> I, I, know, I think. I don't know how
0: gruesome you want to get. We don't have to be so gruesome, but I think your um, mentioning of how these. Um, Resonate with um, the plagues of Egypt, right? Um, I yep. will break your proud, proud glory. I will make your skies mm-hmm. like iron and your earth like copper, which is uh, a reminder. Yeah, reminders. Right?
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, your land shall not uh, yield its produce. Um, I will loose wild beasts against you, and you shall bereave you of your children and wipe out your cattle. All these are wonderful um, reminders and resonate with us in terms of the ten plagues. Um, And they shall decimate you. Um, And again, if these things fail to discipline you, kind of the building up like the 10 plagues, Mm -hmm. um, there's a progression in the plagues, and you remain hostile to me, I will remain hostile to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And can I stop you there for just a moment? Because actually, one of the uh, commentators, um, the translation of I will remain hostile is sort of a, a place to pause for a moment. Um, because the word um, that's used for hostile is carry. Um And um, that's found nowhere else, you know, in the Bible. Um, uh, what does it mean for if you remain hostile to me, I'll remain hostile to you? Um, and so there are a number of different um, attempts to translate it. And as I'm looking at the Eitz Chaim commentator here, um, they have a few down below. If you remain at cross purposes, you know, with me, um uh and then uh, some of the medieval commentators, Rashi and even Ezra, um if you um, you know, if you uh uh it's a word uh for chance, if you you know, if if you follow God's ways only when convenient, um that's going to be you know grounds for hostility. Um, your hostility and and the other con- other translation I remember if you're casual about your observances uh, of the mitzvot, um, that's going to be something that will un- unleash these. You know, so so it's interesting that it's not just you know like gross idolatry that leads to the curses. Uh, it's it's I mean it's casual approach to the traditions a casual approach to uh, you know it's um you know uh, working across purposes to what god wants you to do um it's so so uh, when you kind of think about it in the context of that word um it's it's it is even more shocking i think you know, I could almost see it, you know, if you were, if you, uh, you know, if you were idolatrous, if you were, you know, engaging in all sorts of sexual aberrations and doing these types of things, if you were, you know, killing and maiming and doing, uh, but no, this is if you're kind of casual about your observances, this, uh, this is where hostility comes into. If you're hostile to me and refuse to obey me, I'm going to layer these on you.
0: You know, you mentioned an interesting thing, Rabbi. In the curses, we don't have specificity of behavior. Mm -hmm. As you've indicated, and perhaps our listeners will resonate with this, you're right. It doesn't say if you murder, kill, or in any way behave, uh, uh, obviously in contradistinction to the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. Um, It rather says... If you simply don't follow my uh, uh side of the bargain, my side yep. of the bargain is exactly. I will be your god and your side of the bargain is you will follow um what I offer to you, which is my commandments and through my commandments my protection. Um
1: yes. and I, yeah and, and by the way there are um And again, I'm not quite sure how you approach the the scholarly cross-cultural connections to your Bible study here, to your Parsha study. Um, But there are some parallels that have been drawn between this and other like um, vassal sovereignty connections in in ancient Near Eastern society. So this, in some respects, mirrors that type of uh, uh, agreement you know, um, I'm the Lord of you know da da da. da I've done this for you. If you do this for me, I'm going to do all these things for you. If you don't, boom! You're gonna. I mean, I'm the I'm the overseer here. I'm the I'm the man in the plantation, and I'm gonna you know wreak out all these things um, over over what you do. So there is a little bit of a parallelism to that in ancient Near Eastern thinking.
0: Well, it kind of um, reminds us that the Torah is multifaceted when it comes to defining the relationship between the deity and the people of Israel. Right. There are times when there is this notion of sovereignty and vassal, um, and then there are really more theological uh, connections and theological considerations. Um, In the time that's available to us, I'm wondering if you'd like to uh, offer to our listeners some understanding of how you interpret this notion of reward and punishment yeah. Um, theologically.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I find this to be one of the troubling the- the- theological aspects of Torah. Um, you know, I, I love to study Torah, and I love you know the values that it teaches. Um, but here in Leviticus at the end, and also throughout the book of Deuteronomy, which you'll get to this summer, um, there really is a theology of reward and punishment. And as you were correct uh, so to sort of say, it's more corporate. It's This is what's going to happen to the people Israel um, rather than individuals. Um, uh, I think that this type of theology that emerges from the biblical text here, or excuse me, I should say from the Torah text Um, is very challenging for us. In other words, if if I'm suffering, uh, what did I do wrong? If I'm suffering, why is God meeting out these punishments for me? Um, Because I must have done something wrong. Uh, And I'd like to suggest to your listeners that that while that, I think, is the theology of the day, it's not Jewish theology. I mean, it's not Judaism per se. How how uh, do you make that distinction? Because I well, first of all, because I've also in in Bible I've read the book of Job, Um, and there you know, as Job, his life is good, um, his life becomes terrible. I mean, if if people are familiar with the book, I mean, you know, and and it actually is a little bit of a you know a test of Job um, that's set up between. Satan, you know, and God, between the devil's advocate and God. You think Satan, you think this guy's so good, mess around with him a little bit and he'll blaspheme you. Um, uh, And then when life goes bitter for Job in the most horrible ways, paralleling to some of the curses, I think, that are here in Leviticus, um, his friends kind of come and say to him, Job, what'd you do wrong? (laughs) What'd your kids do wrong? You know, why are you suffering? You must have done something wrong. God doesn't mete out punishments, you know, like you were experiencing. If you didn't do anything wrong, look at your closet. You must have something. You must have some scandal, some sin in there that's causing this. And Joe basically, you know, says, no, I mean, I, I'm not going to go down that route. That's That's not, you know, I can't. I can't handle that. I mean, that, I, mean I, I didn't do anything wrong. I, I, I'm not going to blaspheme God. I'm going to live with the suffering, but I'm going to ask why. Uh, and in the end, you know, basically God says to Job, I'm God, you're a man. Shut up. You know, um, you, know um, you, you, you don't know why. But, 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 but I think the message is reward and punishment is not the answer. Um, we're not going to tell you what the answer is why you suffer, but it's not reward and punishment. And then later, Jewish theology, um, you know, uh, moves on in the rabbinic period to, to to kind of create afterlife dynamics. If your life is just miserable, you know, and you but you remain faithful, you know, um, the world to come is going to be a blessing for you. Um, and I think that that becomes those aspects move from the reward and punishment of Torah into things that are reflect the challenges that we have with this basic question. And I think all theological groups have this question. You know, why, you know, why, why the bad things happen to good people? Um, Why do we, why do innocent suffer? Um, um, Why, you know, what's, I mean, and just, we, you know, open the door this recent week, um, uh, you know, to your neighbor's south in Buffalo and, you know, church going people, you know, killed, you know, shot for, I mean, what's going on here? And, And one of the answers is this is not about God. This is about man. This is about the inhumanity of man. So that becomes one of the other answers to the question, you know, don't get God involved in your gun violence. Don't get God involved in the stuff that you're creating. I mean, that you're doing yourselves. Um, um, so um, I, I think it's, it's, it's a yeah challenging topic.
0: Well, what you, you may have helped the listeners understand is that in Jewish um Tradition over the course of almost uh, 2,000 years, it's not a static conversation. Yes. That the Torah is the first place, but not the last place. And while some traditions um, agree with Judaism in the sacred nature of the text, Judaism, in all of its perspectives from the most traditional to the least traditional, is comfortable seeing the Torah as the beginning, but not the end, and acknowledges that human beings comprehend God uh,
1: differently through the ages. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, the, the sociology and the historical circumstances push us into different perspectives, too. I mean, in biblical times, if If I was suffering, if I was being forced into exile, it might have meant that somebody else's God was stronger than my God. So the prophets come along and say, the reason why you're suffering is because you screwed up. You messed up. Um, Don't abandon God. It's your problem. God will bring you back in the end if you remain faithful and atone. Um, But don't go following other gods just because you think they might be stronger. God is using the Babylonians, the right. It's not the Babylonians are stronger. Um, and by the way, again, that becomes understandable in biblical times, but horrific in contemporary times. You know, God was using the Nazis to because you Jews weren't behaving yourselves becomes almost an obscenity of theology,
0: and not the theology of mainstream Judaism. Right. Um, my guest this morning has been Rabbi James Prosnett, Rabbi Emeritus of Congregation B'nai Israel of Bridgeport, Connecticut. I want to thank him for his insights. You can hear this morning's conversation on iTunes as a podcast or download it from the chri.ca website. For Jewish faith and Jewish facts, this is St- Rabbi Stephen Garten wishing you Shalom and a good day.